This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Dwight York! It's York for a hat-trick! Geeks. York! Yes! Beckham. And York! It's Dwight York with a chance to bury Eindhoven here. Really, really pleased and delighted to bring you an exclusive interview right here in the Dubai 103.8 studios with the man who guided, who led and spearheaded with 29 goals in all competitions, Manchester United's famous treble winning season of 1999. It gets a lot of airtime <laughs> on this show. And I'm also delighted to say in, in the second special treat we've got this hour, we can hear a little bit from Chris McCarty. Just don't tell the doctor. He's going to be... Yeah. <laughs> Don't Whispering Chris tell the doctor, Rob. Is, is also in studio with us. Yeah, good evening to you. Good evening, Rob. Good evening to the listeners. This is a one-time special. Why? We've got Dwight York in with us. Well, there is a good reason. We are joined by Mr. Dwight York and we say a very good evening to Dwight now. Dwight, how are you? Very well. And good afternoon to all of you and uh, the viewers, I'm sure. Um, I'm excited to be here and uh, looking forward to the conversation with C- you guys. Chris is supposed to be resting his voice. He simply could not <laughs> Only for you, Dwight. resist. Yeah, well, I, I do appreciate it, Chris. Uh, That's your, for sure. your exploits in 1999 get more airtime on this show, Dwight, <laughs> than almost any other sporting feat across all sports that we cover on Off Script Extra Time. So, uh, yeah, Chris will always be banging oh, yes. the drum about Manchester oh, United's famous treble always. winning season. but. Dwight, you're in Dubai. Let's kind of catch up with how you've been and, and what you've been up to lately. Well, I've just literally returned from Australia as a manager. So I've been back in the country probably about six weeks or so um, from my experience being a, a head coach down in Australia. So obviously I was living here four years prior to that. So very familiar. Love Dubai. Love everything about Dubai. Um, and yeah, I'm just happy to be back and you know, sort of just kind of getting back into the, the secret, you know, the way of life here a little bit and obviously a little bit job hunting at the same time as well. Yeah, I want to talk about your time in Oz, <laughs> Dwight, because I spoke to you, I think about more oh, three months ago, in fact, a little bit longer than that, in truth, mm. five months ago, and it all seemed rosy in the garden down with MacArthur FC. And, and for anyone that's followed your career closely, you go down there, you're in the job three months and you lead MacArthur to a first trophy in their history. You win the Australian Cup. And at that point, you think to yourself, Dwight's pulling up trees. Dwight York is someone we need to keep an eye on in his management career. And then what happened? Talk to me about your time down there. Well, as you said, uh, Chris, it's you know the experience of going down there first to begin with. It's a, it's a great privilege to be given the opportunity to be a manager. You know the struggle of me trying to get in the doors uh, after, you know, with all the qualifications I've got. So I'm very grateful that I was given that opportunity to manage MacArthur and the experience being there in Australia, that, you know, a country that I'm very familiar as a, I played there one season as well. So I have a quite understanding of what to expect. And so going into this new uh, challenge, my new, my first job as a manager, I went in with open arms and really excited about the job. And I felt that uh, with the challenge of MacArthur being three years into the A-League, then that was always going to be a challenge. But I wanted to make an immediate impact. And the cup was presented because they kind of do things a little bit different down in Australia, (laughs) (laughs) which the cup competition is the first bit of like sort of silverware is presented to you at the beginning before the league actually starts. Right. 
So, um, so they don't run it concurrently. So they don't, they don't run it currently. So they're just kind of like, this is the first introduction towards to the, the, to the season. Okay. And so I thought, well, with the five game possibility of winning the cup, let's, let's get off to a good start here. Let's, let's play on the front foot. And so when I went there, I thought, well, these players are a little bit behind what I'm expecting. And I had to change things around. Lucky I inherited a, a decent bunch of guys the backroom staff as well. I brought in my assistant with me. That was the only person I could bring in at the football club at the time. And I've done well to get him through the door. It was a bit of a, a battle to, to, to sort get of Russell, yeah. get Russell involved, which is my assistant. But I managed to sort of um, get the deal done. And that was crucial for my success there at Australia. Uh, because Russell is someone that I know personally over 40 years. He's a football guru. He played the game at the very top uh, of the sport as well, playing for for Porto and Rangers in Scotland. Uh, so he knows his football um, and obviously somebody who I totally trust. And when you go into management, you need people alongside you who yeah. you can trust. So that was a, an important um, sort of recruit for me to get him next to me. Anyway, having said all of that, we got off to the probably a decent start. We win the first game into the cup competition. We got a couple of decent draws as well, but we, ha- we faced some A-League teams who are ahead of us who's got reputation in the league because we're only a young you know young relatively young when it comes to the a-league we only uh, this is their third season being in the a-league so I, I thought this would be a good opportunity for me to sort of rubber stamp my philosophy as you call it now uh, my ideas and sort of playing style how i want the players to do so having done all of that uh, we, we we went on to and play some good stuff and uh, you know lucky enough we get to the final and end up winning that competition which allows you to qualify for the, champ- uh, the Asian Champions League. So not only winning the first trophy for the club, but got them into the Champions League as well. Uh, how, so how well did you know the players, Dwight, heading into this? Did I you have to know- do a power of research on every single member of that squad and, and how they matched up to all the other players in the league? Because I guess, you know, it's not like the Premier League where there's so much data, yeah. I would imagine, on all of the players. Well, so I was lucky enough, the, the strength and fitness coach is somebody who trained me when I was in Australia the first time as a player. And he, he, he was part of the backroom staff. So I kept him on just to get a feedback. Someone who knows the league, who's been there. He's also, you know, um, the strength and fitness condition for Australian national team on both occasions in the World Cup. So a guy with wealth of experience knows, played the game himself, but you know, obviously went to the physio type and the strength and conditional department. So I kind of rely on him to give me the information that I needed. Of course, as a coach, you do your research on the players. Um, You went in there and you kind of went in with an open arm. The first thing I went in was to change the impression of the place, change the surrounding, change the whole thing. So when the players arrived for the first day of training, they were introduced to something totally new. So the old training ground that they were training, I moved the camp. I moved it across like literally 100 yards away, but they had a new... Uh, sort of facilities just been built there. And I happened to sort of say to the owners, this will be our new base. And so straight away, when the players arrived, they recognized this is new. new. Mm. This is something exciting is happening here. They didn't have a chef, introduced a chef. You know, they are professional level, but they think like sort of a amateur sort of, you know, semi-pro sort of mentality. So I having to change all that uh, narrative around get the players on board, buying into what we were trying to, you know, develop a, 
a sort of a winning culture and change the narrative of how they think and how they approach the game. We were reminiscing a little bit off air, Dwight, as you walked into the studio. We caught up with you in our old studios probably about six years ago. And, and the thing that Robbie and I both remarked upon then was, here's a guy who's achieved it all in football, treble with Man United, 72 caps for your country, a World Cup finals appearance with Trinidad and Tobago as well. And yet here's a man who is hungry to prove himself in management. You told us then, I just need the opportunity, lads. Someone give me the opportunity and I'll prove myself. You've been given the opportunity now. Now that you've sampled it, did anything surprise you? Yeah, because you've gone in there thinking that you know everything. Uh, and the reality, you don't. You, there is always new challenges. The game is ever-changing as yeah. well. And so you've got to have to adapt very quickly. Obviously, by doing, I think, going back and crossing the T's and dotting the I's in the pro license helped me a lot. I think there are things that have come out of leaving MacArthur now that I will definitely make sure that those boxes are tick. And so that experience is invaluable. It's, it's quite amazing, as a matter of fact. But there are things in there that you think that you know, and every day you're presented with a new challenge every time you go in to the training ground. But you're not just managing the players, you're managing the organization. You know, and I was saying to you earlier on, you don't just manage the 11 players. The players who are playing, they're the easy yeah. sell. It's the other 12, 15 players that is not playing that you have to keep mm. them energized, keep them involved, keep them, let them know that they're very much part of this you know, this culture that you're building here because you need your players, you need players, injuries, you know, you, you need players to come in and sort of taken up from the players that you may use. People are out of form. You need those players coming in to keep them that. So managing the organization, the backroom staff and the day-to-day -day basis, being able to relate to your CEO and your chairman, have a, a working relationship, but also get a clear understanding what's your role what you're in control, what you're in charge of, the picking the team, all of that kind of stuff, which you need to make sure that, you know, you get it all clarified. So what kind of manager are you then, Dwight? Are you a tracksuit manager or are you the suit? Come Good game enough. day. I am very much a bit of everything, really, to be quite honest, in the modern day game. I want to be on the pitch. I'll be on the pitch every day, watching training. That's why I've got my specialist coaches there. Obviously, I, I play the game at the highest level when I feel like I need to step in when things are not right. That's when I will kind of step in. We will talk and brief about sessions every day. And then when it comes games day, I'm the manager. I'm the one who calls the shot, who picks the team. Uh, and, and that's how it is. Did you uh, find talking to players and kind of telling players things that they didn't necessarily want to hear, did you find that a particular challenge? Because I guess that's something that you as a, as a former elite footballer will never really have had to do before. And then suddenly you're having to have those difficult conversations that affects the careers of the guys in your squad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably the most difficult thing and I've had to do it a couple of times. But I also always say to my players, I will be as transparent as possible. I think that is important to have, you know, that hard and honest conversation. But, you know, you've got to be, uh, you've got to have to show a little bit of empathy in the, at the same time mm -hmm. as well. So you've got to find that balance. Reality is, if you're not good enough, you have to tell them in no uncertain way because there are sometimes, as I know, that you know, players got to move on. You need players to come in to improve them. And you have to give them the, a sort of word of encouragement, thank them for their service. I've had I've experienced it as a player when I was leaving Manchester United. So Alex Ferguson called me in the office and says, listen, you're always welcome back here. 
the, the door is always open and he stick to his words so up to this day. Every time I need any favor, I've had a, a conversation with Sir Alex or I wanted to go back to Manchester United, the door was always open. But it doesn't mean that you remains at the football club. He's there to make football decisions and that's what managers are paid to do. There is nothing personal there. You know, I, I would like to keep you on if you, if you, if you that person that is good is going to make my team better. But sometimes you're going to make did, those tough, tough decisions and that's what you've got to do. Did you recall anything that Alex <laughs> said to you back in the day that you've used in your own managerial life so far? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, when you're in the bubble, you don't see those things, mm. you know, the, the kind of, you know, um, I, I think for me what's probably stood out even more is the fact that when he continued to be on your case all the time and you wonder why he's on your case, you're like, Gaffer, give me a break. <laughs> you know, give me a break. But he's actually telling you this is not forever. you got to keep pushing yeah. to be better yourself all the time. And I think often enough you see people taking the eye off the ball, and I've done that in the past. Of course, I've been successful. But those are the moments when the manager, is, he's the one, he's seeing that, and he's the one who's saying, hey, come on. You need to get your act together. We spoke to Brendan Rogers when he was over uh, with it was Celtic at the time. So this was a number of years ago as well, Dwight. It's always stuck with me because one of the questions we asked Brendan was, you know, what's the best piece of advice you've received? And he thought about it long and hard and he said, Sir Alex, in actual fact. And obviously, as soon as Sir Alex's name's mentioned, you perk up a little bit. And he said, Sir Alex said to me, the quicker I can get my coaching staff aligned with what I want and my vision, and I can take a step back. I will then see things that, because I'm too close, I'm not seeing. And he said he got to a point with his coaching staff, he was able to take that step back, not be hands-off, but just be able to trust his coaching staff to do what he needed to do on a Monday to Friday basis and step back. He could start to see things a little bit more macro as opposed to micro, I guess. Is that something that you're aware of as well, that you've got a great coaching staff around you, Dwight, to allow you to back away and see the bigger picture? It's very important. Your backroom staff is probably the most important part in the football. Yes, the players are essential to your success, but your backroom staff. Um, the course I've been on in, in, uh, in England on the pro license really does emphasize that. Your working environment is important and the people that you trust, because you must be able to have that trust. Yeah. Right. And if you're not trusting the people that you're working alongside, um, then you're always going to have a, a very difficult time. That's why it's important your assistant, your, 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 your physical conditioner coach, your strength and conditioner, the doctor, you have a briefing every morning. You know, that's important that you do have a briefing room every morning. Now, the, the, with the technology that is available, you have a, you know, a WhatsApp conversation. You know, so you constantly, as a manager, you're constantly being asked questions, Gaffer, what you want, what you need, this, da, da, da. Players, this one is not well. You know, we got a well-being sort of, as well, group chat with the players who's who's not feeling well at night. It's even gone as far as that. If you're not so well at night, what time you need to come in? We've got the doctors going to see these players. I mean, it is really hands-on. So for me, yeah, your backroom staff is, is very, very vital and key. The Offscript Podcast.
in studio with a Manchester United legend, a man who is making his way in the world of football management as well. It is the one and only Dwight York. And we're in the middle of a conversation about your philosophies on management, Dwight. And I guess you've also, with your time in Australia with MacArthur, you've also experienced the unique pressure of management in the way that one weekend, one result can influence you know the decisions of owners the the whole vibe and the whole atmosphere around the club we've seen it so many times already a dozen times this season in the Premier League with Chelsea this very unique short-termist kind of approach where you don't get any real time to make things happen from an implementation of ideas and things that do take time you're never granted that time is is that something that you were aware of and you could sense and and something that affected you while you were with MacArthur? Well, first to begin with, I didn't get sacked because of football um, results. Because we were third in the league. You know, you win the cup, you, champ- you got uh, to qualify for the Asian Champions League as well. So it wasn't anything that uh, related to the football. It was more of a misunderstanding of, you know, where... The owners who I thought was great when when we met, everything was perfect. And there was a little bit of a, a, a moment when they thought, well, you know, that relationship is, there is a bit of mistrust there uh, from both ends. So it was a mutual agreement when we departed. It wasn't like, oh, you got sacked because of your result. Mm-hmm. And if you look at my win percentages, well into the high 50s. So, you know, I was doing well from a football perspective right so from from that perspective you never saw your departure coming no i didn't see it coming okay it didn't even register i i felt very uh i think i know for a fact everyone was pleased with the the progress that we were making as i said we were never out the top four um and everything was pretty much rosy if i'm honest yes you get a miss a little bit of a dispute um with the owners and chairman and the ceo uh, relating to certain issues, which I probably won't go into. Okay. But outside of that, um, where the football was concerned in terms of the philosophy, the way we were playing, the progress, the ball position, shots on target, all the numbers was where we wanted to be. Um, and we were trending. We were trending in the right direction to really try and make a push to try and nick the whole thing at the end of the season. So you left the football club end of January, or third week of January. Yes. They were third. Yep. I can tell you, where are MacArthur right now? Second bottom. You're kidding. Of the A-League. <laughs> You're so, kidding. So that tells me, Dwight, that you were clearly doing something right there. You know, you've already alluded to the fact, do you feel at third, in third position, you were punching well above MacArthur's weight? Yes. Or you were. Yes, and I, and I think it's, it's evident with what is happening at the football club. And that's what was so disappointed. Not leaving the football club, I felt for the players because we were really a good group that were trying, trending and trying to achieve something that the kind of impossible what we could have done. And in your first role as a manager, Dwight, how much did you relish forging those connections with the players? Loved it. And it's made, it's just made for me because the it kind of individual I am. Yes, I want the best. It is a, a high value of expectation when I, when I turned up. Uh, the players bought into what we uh, told them, what we expected of them. Uh, there was a protocol and guideline within that that everyone sort of fit into. And if you fell out of that, then that, there was always a consequences. 
And, but the most important thing, football was enjoyable. You know, the players were looking forward to coming in. What we built there, they'd never had. The, the chef, the, you know, the sort of organization, the, 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 the level of professionalism that we brought to the football club. And now they were feeling that they, this was how professionalism was all about. And I really do feel that we would have probably gone on to be very, very close to winning the league. If not, maybe win the other grand final, as they call it, down in Australia. Because, as I said, uh, I had a very good feeling that these players were going to try and do something. Uh, and I, I, I felt it. Uh, I think the owners and everyone felt it. And it was just such a disappointment the way how it did all ended. It always amazes me, Dwight. You get some managers who, who gain reputations as being winners, right? And then you get some managers who are known for improving players. Like I think of Antonio Conte. Mm. He's a winner. Very, very rarely do you hear that he, quote-unquote, improves players. Mourinho. You then get a Mourinho. Again, he's a winner, not an improver of players. Then a Pep Guardiola comes along, an improver of players. I'm going to throw Graham Potter, despite the fact he's out of a job at the minute. <laughs> Someone who has, up until Chelsea, improved players. Where are you at on that? Do, did you see improvement in the players that you had at your disposal? Absolutely. Um, I think it's important that the manager, as part of the manager role, you have to improve your players. You have to get that extra 10, 15% out of them. And uh, I think, you know, you, you as a manager, you are the heartbeat of that team. Yeah. Um, the fact that I've been a player, which should be a bit of a plus to your coaching and was philosophy. It? Was it? Well, it was, of course. Yeah, because you've got to use that, but you've got to use it sensible and you've got to be careful as well because yeah. where you were as a player, to where these players are, maybe not really mm. the level. So you've got to find the so right balance. So what about ballots. them are you improving? Is it is it their mentality? Is it their positional awareness? What what specific things are you kind of improving? Because presumably there's, there's only so much you can do at a certain level in day-to-day -day training yeah. when it comes to technique. Yeah. So one of the things that we observe straight away that we've, we as a, as a staff, especially me as a head coach, is that the come games day, uh, day of a game, you're trying to tweak things while the game is going on mm -hmm. and they're not really clued in. You, you find it, it's a little bit disorganized. So what we try to do then is that instead of get to games day, we put on the games in, in the training session. So then that way we can tweak things when the ball is here position-wise, when the opposition got it, mid-block to whether we want to press high. We work on these various things in training. So when it comes to games day, then you're not having to tweak too many things. So whereas when you're in the Premier League, you can tweak things and players get it. At this yeah. level, you can't tweak things and they're kind of disorganized. So we make sure we rubber stamp that very early. We nip that in the bud. And so we give them a sort of an idea of what we expect in when ball in, in relation to the ball how does players, how you transfer. But we want to play an attacking style of football. So you, you can't play attacking when you get the ball only. You've got to be also be aggressive to get the ball back. That's what, you, that's what the good teams do yeah. when they play on the front foot. So again, it takes time. But as we talked about, managers are not getting the time now. So where it used to be a six-month window where you gave them that time, I think it's now it's down to three months. Three months. Yeah. That, that's what you talk about. So three months to walk, Dwight, to walk in, to set down your your laws, yeah. your rules, yeah. the, the bare minimum, the basics. You would I, say. I call it the protocol. You got to follow the protocol. You got to follow the protocol. And then you you reckon you've got three months 
to get your ideas across and to see what you're working on the training ground out there on a Saturday. Absolutely. And, and uh, the reason I said three months, wow. but in that period of time, there is a realistic sort of base on the team. I, if you've got a team right up at the top, then they expect the results. I, let's go back to MacArthur, a team that is, you know, middle pretty much middle, middle of the road, probably slightly lower than middle of the road. You're given time. But what, what, what I think owners and chairmen look for and supporters, they're very clever, the supporters as well. You beat the teams that you're expecting to beat. Yeah. If you can kind of beat the teams that you're expecting to beat, you're buying yourself time. Mm. As if you're losing Credit at the, the top. Bank. Yeah. So if you're losing at the top and then losing at the bottom teams as well, then you're kind of making your job a lot more. So you've got to find a way to win. Mm. Winning is what it's all it's about. all about. So many components. And, and you've got to buy time. <laughs> How you buy that time? You've got to nick those little wins yeah. occasionally. You're giving me anxiety just, yeah. just telling me about yeah, it. Yeah, Do yeah, yeah. Well, you've got to, you got to nick it. those little wins there. It buys you time. The Off Script Podcast. We are in studio with the one and only Dwight York and we're talking management, we're talking all things footballing, philosophy with Dwight. He's pondering his next move, he's back in Dubai and I'm sure, Dwight, you've been keeping a very close eye on the Adnock Pro League and what's been going on over here in the UAE. I mean, the standard of the league, there's no doubt, has gone up these last couple of years. The influx of players like Pjanic and Yarmolenko and those kind of players, Coronado, who's yeah. now, he's now moved over to Saudi Arabia, but he was one of the kind of talisman for, for Sharjah for quite a few years and I'm curious as to what you've made of it having experienced the A-League what, what do you make of the Adnock Pro League and, and potentially the opportunities for you in management in the Adnock Pro League? Well first of all I'm very surprised you know uh, because having lived here for four years I have seen the odd games and the odd clips of games and watching on TV but I didn't realise now that I'm into management a little bit more now and really focusing on, on getting in, in back into the game. I've done some research here. I didn't realize you guys commentated yeah. the game. That's a scary thought, Dwight. No, but that was a bit of a We're surprise. We're mainly on the bench, Dwight, to be honest. <laughs> but I can't control that. I can't control if you can't get up. But I didn't realize that you guys actually do yeah. uh, feature on most of the game, if not all the games. All quite right? a few, yeah. So... It's quite remarkable sitting here and talking about the domestic league. And going back to that now, it's just, you know, impressed. We know the facilities. We know the fan base is uh, are really big. You know, Al Nasser, you talk about Wasa and those kind of teams. Are a really traditional, historical team, you know, with great history, with great fan base. And, you know, obviously the World Cup was a huge success in, in, in and around the UAE area as well. Football has always been a very popular sport here. For where it is and where it should be, should be higher, mm. in my opinion. Now, not going to go into the nitty-gritty of some stuff, but in terms of the standard of the players and the standard of play, I've been impressed. Yeah, standard you know, is been, good. I've been very impressed, and there's so much room for improvement too. But what's encouraging that you are seeing the names coming into the game here and now they, they look like they're going to make another 
strong push to, to try and improve the league even more. So. Well, we've spoken about it, uh, Robbie and I, and, and we've spoken about it a lot on the show. Leonardo Jardim, former mm-hmm. Monaco boss, looks as if he's going to take Shabab Alakli to the title. They're top of the table. They've got a five-point gap. You've got Cosmin Oluru, Romanian, who's had success in and around this region, not just here in the UAE, over in Saudi Arabia, over in China as well. Sergei Rebrov, yeah. a man that you would have played against probably when he was at Spurs, Spurs. And, and you were at United. He's over here, title winner with Alain last year. Some big names, Dwight, in management, forging, I guess, their next chapter in this part of the world. For you then, coming from Australia, and when you look at the league, Dubai is now home. You're in this part of the world looking for a challenge. Would the Adnot Pro League interest you? If a job, if someone came knocking and said, Dwight, I've got a job for you, would you be licking your lips? I will. I've got to be totally honest with you. I... The research I've done and the more I look into it, I love to have an opportunity here. I think it's a, it's a league that uh, continue to improve. Uh, I feel that with what I've experienced now as a manager and having that year experience is even more encouraging to get into to a team here. And so, yeah, a, a team giving me an opportunity here is something that I will will not even hesitate, as a matter of fact. Uh, I, I love the area, I love the place, I love everything about Dubai, and I feel that this will be a, a great challenge for me and a good stepping stone in itself to give the league the kind of recognition yeah. uh, that it probably deserves. I'm sure if I were to be given a job, I can bring other things to the league. Um, but, you know, ultimately, if I do get the job, it's about winning. And I feel that if I got a, a team here that I will feel like I can go on to win the league here at some point as well. The managerial turnover is relatively high here <laughs> in the Adnock Pro League. Often I will be in the commentary box and I'll be like, hang on a minute, so-and-so was manager of this team last time I did the commentary and suddenly there's another guy. So it's not happening in just in England, right? It's, no, it's happening no, here it's, as well. It's, it's very much, it's very contagious, <laughs> okay. Dwight. The demand for success right. is just as high here in the UAE, seemingly. And it feels like club, clubs that should be content to sit in the mid-table are not content yeah. to sit in the mid-table. Clubs that should be content to survive in the Adnock Pro League, certainly not content to do that. So obviously there will always be opportunities that crop up. Um, how do you plan on kind of positioning yourself or kind of opening those doors, if you like? Because, you know, it, it feels like sometimes the Adnock Pro League has its kind of yeah. go-to. Mm. You know, we see a lot of the same kinds of managers. There's a lot of Serbian managers, for example, mm. operating in the Adnock Pro League. You know, there's... There's a couple of doors that have to be kind of gently pushed open. Do you feel? Absolutely, uh, and that's the nature of all, all, all sports. It's about who you know, the agent getting you in, in and through the doors at times, and and I'm fully aware of that. Uh, I've been lucky enough that I have a certain individual here, without mentioning the names, that are trying to get me those uh, opportunities to have meeting. I have to be a lot more proactive. Coming on your show today will hopefully uh, encourage people to, to, to give me that opportunity as well. So that's all part of the PR kind of stuff and getting mm-hmm. in there and show your interest. So you've got to be proactive. We've got a weekly we slot for you if you fancy it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll be going. Uh, there's a massive game tomorrow. Yeah, Al Nasser, uh, Shabab Al Nasser. So I want to go and have a look at that. And so that's something that I intend to do and start to show my interest a little bit more of watching the games a little bit more live and, 
and getting a little bit more closer to and as the ground. Well, and that's thing, how it works, right? Well, You've got to be doing some network. Yeah, absolutely. Networking. Of course. But as we discussed as well, Dwight, you are a bit of a nomad in the sense that you're not scared to travel. You've gone down under. You left home at a young age, yeah. Trinidad and Tobago, to, to make your way over to England, of course, with Aston Villa. And you were telling me off air, you're starting to learn Arabic as well. So you're serious about this. And, 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 listen, and I, I hold my hands up. I'm actually appalled at myself. You and I have spoken about this, Robbie. I've been here 13 years. And I, I'm genuinely disgusted at myself that I, I haven't actually learned the language. I really am. And it's a real pet peeve of mine. Yeah. You're putting in that hard yards as well. Well, I, I intend to. That's part of the whole process. And I think only because I have some very good Arabic friends here as well. That helps. Uh, that, that helps. Um, Obviously, doing the fasting that uh, that I've started doing the last three years, so I fast as well. Um, just learning the culture a little bit more. Uh, and I think uh, I want to, to try and improve the Arabic sort of, you know, sort of get in there and try to learn the few things. It will take me some time, but I've bought my book. I've started reading it and uh, I'm not sure about some of the, their pronunciation. But uh, I think I will have to get a tutor as well and try to work from there. But I intend to do that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm very encouraged by it. I think it's important to learn, if not a few good words, yeah. and to at least have a conversation to a certain level. It doesn't have to be perfect, but at least they'd probably get what I'm that trying to do. That would be the biggest yeah. advantage you could possibly have in terms of, you know, making the difference between either being overlooked or, you know, someone that would, would come along and go, yeah. You know, it, it's amazing, isn't it, when you well, assimilate you got, yourself with the culture. But you got you got to use everything to your advantage, you know. I, and I don't mind the hard yards because I understand the hard yard because I've done it as a player. And I have to do it as a manager. You know, the destination will be probably to one day managing the Premier League. But, you know, sometimes it's direct flight and sometimes you have to island hop to get to that same destination. I understand what my path is and, and I'm, 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 I'm okay with that. And, and this is part of the journey of getting to that destination eventually. A good friend of yours, Cristiano Ronaldo, he made the move not to the United Arab Emirates, but to the region. He's over in Saudi Arabia. Have you had any conversations, Dwight? I mean, I would imagine you're keeping an eye on what he's doing because I've got to be honest, I think when he signed, I wasn't really sure what to make of it, in all honesty, Dwight. I didn't really get as far to think whether he'll score bagfuls of goals but over the piece, I think it's, it's largely been a, a success for, for Ronnie over in Saudi. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're talking about it. You know, I'm not, I hope it's not, this is not uh, offensive in any means, but the Saudi league wasn't really talked about. Certainly in the Western world, it is talked about now. True. You know, in Australia, we were talking about it, you know, the Saudi league. So yeah, I think the fact that the World Cup has been such a huge success as well does help to develop... Uh, uh, elevate all the UAE in general here yeah. in Dubai, in Saudi, in Qatar, you know, in Doha, those regions now, you know, scouts and the emphasis on football is has gone up yeah. another another notch. And so, yeah, it doesn't surprise me how well he is done because he's just one determined player. He don't be that good for so long, for that many, many so many years. Um, going there, his profile alone. You know, when you have what, over 600 million followers, there is always people going to be talking and watching what he's done. But not only that, he continued to do the business as well. Yeah. 
So well, that's just what's even more impressive. Al Nasser, I will have a little look now. Al Nasser had, I think, 1.2 million followers on Instagram when Cristiano Ronaldo was signed, and they now have 14.3. So they've. Uh, that, that's a. That's a I'm not even going to attempt the maths on that yeah. one, but it's a lot more. It's a lot more. And Al Nasser, they're not even top of the league, for goodness sake. They're behind their great rivals, Al Ittihad, by three yeah. points. So, yeah. I mean, that would, if anything, will motivate Ronaldo to stick around. It would, it would certainly be that. But, um, right, Dwight, before we let you go, I do want to talk a little bit of Premier League football. And I was very intrigued to see the discussion, the animated discussion unfold between two of your former teammates uh, in the Sky Sports punditry uh, booth yesterday. It was Gary Neville claiming that Arsenal would be satisfied to finish second behind Manchester City and they they should not feel bad at all for being overhauled if that is indeed what happens during the remainder of this Premier League season. And and Roy Keane, rather unsurprisingly, (laughs) poo-pooed that analysis, that that assertment and said, at this point on, Anything less than champions would be a huge disappointment for Arsenal. Where do you where do you sit on this, having watched them throw away now two two goal leads in a row against Liverpool and then West Ham? And obviously in that time, Manchester City, having won both their games, have significantly closed the gap to now whereby the points difference will you, will be just one if Manchester City win their game in hand. Well, first of all, you know, Gaz, I mean, if you say to Gaz as a player, you put Gaz in that Arsenal team and says, oh, we had a good season, yeah. he'll be fuming. <laughs> yeah. So for yeah. him to say that, yeah. it's just, that must be for TB. It can't be any other way because he would be furious. He's, he doesn't lose. He'd be upset. He won't even turn up. For, you know, he will just go missing for a while. He won't talk to anybody. he turn his phone off. So for him to be saying that on national TV is just a fib in my opinion. Mm. It's just crazy. You can't come, you can't work for the last 10 months, training every day, and, uh, and literally seeing the finishing lines coming up where you are ahead of for so long yeah. doing what you're doing and then decide to say, I'm going to finish second. Nah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. It's, it's just not, it's not really. So I agree. I mean, it's just ridiculous, that statement. But, you know, as I said, you, if you know Gaz as well as I know him, he's just kind of <laughs> laughed that off in many respects and, so, yeah, Kino is 100% right. You can't now think of finishing second. It's just incredible sort of a statement that is. It's, uh, You're so right. It's, it's what it's about. And do you think that having led for so long unexpectedly has ultimately taken its toll on Arsenal? Because, you know, the, the choke tag gets thrown around a lot and nothing's happened yet. There's still plenty of games to go. Yeah. There's a feeling of a loss of momentum now, inescapably, from Arsenal and there's a feeling of juggernaut momentum from Manchester City that's the kind of like if I'm thinking about it even though Arsenal is still in the box seat that's the narrative the narrative now but it's almost impossible to get away from that now there's a there's a really strong feeling now that that City will reel them in it's like a horse closing in on the other one down the home straight I'm a manager now so I look at the manager because I think the manager is a heartbeat to the team this is where you probably as a manager you've got to lead by example I watched his interview and he said something in an interview along the lines that we need to be ruthless. Now, that's a bit late for ruthlessness, isn't it? This is where you have to be ruthless anyway. So for him to brought that out, I watch his body language. He He's normally uh, upbeat in recent time, but it, in the last couple of defeats, I can see why he's kind of deflated in some yeah. way and quite understandable because, again, because of the situation there, 
they've been in those winning position and then throw it away in, in many respects. But teams are fighting for, for their life. When you're playing for the championship, teams like West Ham and them, they're not going anywhere. You've got to have to match them for energy, match them for enthusiasm. You know you've got the quality in the team. And if you ever think one moment, which is something I learned at United, that you, any games is easy. Mm. These games are becoming even more tougher by the minute and by yeah. the day. And so they need to get their, their head around it very, very quickly. They've got no more room for errors. You know, they, all the mistakes is made. But they have, they're doing it the hard way now. That what makes it more, even more exciting? They're going <laughs> to yeah. have to beat City, right? That's it. And well, they that's... do that, then people are going, well, wow, that's more, even more amazing than it's already you know, setting out to That's be it. in the Premier League. That's it, Dwight. We're out of time. Listen, yeah. thank you so much for coming in. We, we wish you the best. Obviously, we wish you well and the best of luck in your in your future endeavours in management. And I'm sure that you'll unfortunately, unfortunately not be picking up the phone to us and coming in to <laughs> chat football for all too long in the future because I'm sure you're going to be landing the next job very soon. Dwight, listen, thank you so much. Sure, guys. Really appreciate sure. it, Mr. Dwight. And, York, and what a Chris, pleasure. Thanks for coming in, mate. Tom, man. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.